Welcome to RVA Dirt's Municipal Mania, where we have almost reached the halfway point with this iteration of City Council. So let's see what they've been up to in the past two years. All right. Welcome to the action this week on Municipal Mania. Mania, mania, mania. I had to do that alone because <laughs> Fran's not here. She's sick. She's very sick. And Hopefully she'll feel better. I hope she does feel better and don't infect anyone. Yes. So it's just me and Melissa here hanging out. And we have an exciting topic for you guys today. Something that we with Richmond City Council talk a lot about is some people say do nothing Congress. Some days it kind of feels like a do nothing City Council. Not going to lie. You know, we're half or about at the halfway point of Mm -hmm. their current terms. So Melissa did a labor of love and looked at all of the ordinances and resolutions that have been uh, in play is what I'm going to call it. Uh, in the past two years. So she's going to take us through some of these. I haven't actually read through them, so you're going to be getting some pretty live reactions of all of this. Uh, But first, before we get going, Melissa, can you remind us all what an ordinance and a resolution are? Because there is a difference. There is a difference. So ordinances are basically what become laws. It's paper that becomes a law. And a resolution is an intent. So city council can say they intend to do something, anything. So I I think Uh, they don't have to. It's not bound. So it's like a recommendation. Yes, it's a recommendation or the intent they want to do something. They want to declare something. They want to show support for something, but they don't need to write it into law. So two examples That's I can really quickly is. think of would be uh, the resolution where they were writing to Donald Trump and asking them for some kind of monetary uh, program to continue funding. <laughs> and Reva got upset. Another resolution <laughs> would be uh, Mike Jones, the councilman, Ninth District Councilman Mike Jones's resolution to request that the General Assembly give them the authority to take down the monuments. Right. And that oh. one isn't a laughing matter. No. But the first one. The first one. You know, feel free to join me in my giggle fest. All right. So we're going to head back to 2017. In our Wayback Machine. Great Scott. When this iteration of council began, young and fresh and, you know, ready to do good by their constituents, (laughs) there were 258 ordinances in 2017. There were 93 resolutions. There were 17 ordinances that were withdrawn. Of note, exotic pet prohibitions. Holy Jesus, what is that? And to rename City Hall, L. Douglas Wilder City Hall. Wasn't that also just renaming of City Hall? Was that was over like a year? Oh, it was it was just languishing well before this iteration of council came in. And that was 8th District Councilman Reva Trammell, I believe, that really wanted to rename it Douglas Wilder City Hall. And then Doug Wilder actually even said, spend the money on schools. He said, thank you. Yeah, so that was withdrawn. Two that were rejected. So it means voted down. To create a new reservation of funds balance, the cost of living adjustment reserve for city of Richmond employees. So they said no to that. And also no to the Martin Agency purchasing city property to expand. Two rejections. That's not a ton. You know what I mean? I looked at it and I said, really? Did we vote in a bunch of yes people? Yes! 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 <laughs> well, apparently we did because there were 238 papers adopted. Yeah, including providing land on Browns Island and maintenance for the Emancipation Monument that is still yet to come. And if you want to look at it, there's a mock-up at the Valentine Museum. Um, missing a hand. The hand got knocked off. You can also Google it and there's pictures of it. There's pictures of mm-hmm. what it's supposed to look like. It's pretty jarring, actually. You should check it out. 
I thought this was weird and interesting. An agreement to allow historic stones from Kanawha Canal to improve the teapot bridge. Improve in what way? I don't know. But I guess there's an improvement of ancient stones. I hope that they don't have some sort of spirit living in them that we have now pissed off. All I'm thinking is, man, that consent agenda is a wild ride because I have no memory of that. I know. like <laughs> Must have been a consent. So, <laughs> crazy pants, uh, to amend the master plan to incorporate the riverfront plan and the pulse corridor plan. And clearly, the pulse corridor is a happening. Don't um, get run over by the pulse. Stay in your lane. Literally. Oh, here's the tire storage one. So, amending the city code to prohibit outdoor use tire storage because in the 8th and 9th districts, there were tires freaking everywhere. It was just the land of used rubber. This is actually something really fun fact random. I don't know. Maybe it's fun for me. I remember uh, when I was growing up in Chesterfield County, we had somebody that lived near us. And basically what they were doing, because this is really a moment of like for anybody who doesn't recognize the severity of the issues of tires, (laughs) of used tires being piled up, it's this little random tangent. What was happening is that there's a high cost of tires to be able to put them in a landfill. And so to make money, what people would do is they would collect the tires that need to be disposed of and they would handle, of course, the hauling and the disposal of them. So they would take this high price and premium for disposing of the tires, but then they would just pile them up in their yard or dispose them basically in their yard instead of actually taking them to the landfill because then obviously they're saving the cost of what they would have had to pay. The reason the price is high up front is because the cost to dispose is truly higher. I remember growing up nearby me, there was a house not far away that had just tires everywhere. And it didn't Right. I'm sorry. The kingdom of tires. It was a lot. The problem, though, is is that rodents. There are oh, things yeah, that can live gross. in it. It gets really dangerous. If it's like, wet, there's black widows all up in that mess. Oh, no. Yeah, like, so Look, it's a pretty big safety gonna, hazard. If you're not going to paint them up in uh, rainbow colors and put dirt in them and grow potatoes, please dispose of your tires. Yeah, and down in that area of Eighth and 9th District, there's a lot of tire shops specifically. Oh my gosh, so yes. like it's it's a pretty big business down there. So I just I, I resonated with. Me. I didn't realize. I'm like, how how are we still in 2018 and or 2017 at the time and hadn't banned that yet? Lots of money has been given to support Main Street Station, and that continues on into 2018. That's you know, like we've the got renovation. to support Main Street Station uh, because yeah, they're renovating it. Also, somewhere along the line here, there was a welcome center put in. It's fairly mundane. Oh, for you bike folks, funding for bike lanes, first through third streets, and the bike walk boulevard at 29th Street. When we talk about funding resolutions, there's usually two variations that I see. One of them is usually to accept money from a federal government, an outside entity, or a state government, and take that money and just appropriate it to the program it, it, it applies to. Right. The other version of that would be city council actually looking at the budget, finding money, and appropriating the city's money elsewhere. Right. So some of these, some of them are, are the fundings and... are grants. Mm-hmm. So yeah, they pass some of these things, but this is also going back to that budget change in the budget. One thing they did do in 2017 was changed it to where any of the fund transfers between all of the different uh, departments have to be an ordinance. Some of these ordinances, even though it feels like a lot, now that I think about it, some might be funding of it just is, accepting a, money it's and it's a, a procedural. Ton. When I was looking at this, there's a ton of accepting money, you know, authorizing the CEO to accept this amount of grant money to go to this. It's just tons of it. And if we discussed all of it, this would be a four-hour show on everybody sleeping. Well, especially. While we just ramble on. 
and especially since a lot of it ends up just being the administrative leg part of previously approved projects. Yeah. Like, hey, we approved the bike lanes, which is relevant today because we're talking about fully funded bike lanes that we've gotten sure. money from Virginia Department of Transportation federal grants to build these. Putting in perspective, some of this funding stuff is really them yeah. being well. The uh, one of them was bonuses for sheriff's office employees, which would have been city funding. Yep. So yeah, also and funding for the GRTC implementation of the transit network plan. One thing I didn't notice in here um, that I I believe would have been adopted in 2017, kind of going back to the sheriff's office employees, they also increased police salaries. And I thought that's just an interesting point to bring up because something that I remember at a council meeting recently was Ellen Robertson citing the way that we were able to get money for the police was we talked about it and had decided and figured it out before budget season started. And that was already like, hey, we are gonna figure out how to do this. It ended up being off cycle. And it was a, a pretty big, I'm gonna use the word kerfuffle. I love it. Yeah. And I, I would say kerfuffle, not from their side of it. They were all on board with it. But I think that there was some strife and probably frustration, even actually from some of them, where they voiced the opinion, if y'all needed this money, you should have asked for it at budget season because now we're having to do an off-cycle allocation. At the same time, you have on the back end of it saying, hey, the way we were able to get this done was actually that we talked about it before budget season. I don't really know what that's about. It's just something that made me kind of think interesting things council's done. That's where we're at with ordinances for 2017. Total 258. I mean, it's it seems like a lot, but it also doesn't seem like a lot to me. I don't know. Maybe I'm going to refrain. I have a feeling that my opinion might be the same after 2018s, but yeah. so I'm going I'm to wait till we see 2018s too. And so there are resolutions as well. There are 93 resolutions in 2017 with seven withdrawn. And most of those that are withdrawn, honestly, are not really exciting. It's just because they need a tweak here, change there. It's not really ready for it. It might be incorporated into another It might paper. have been too much to amend. Right. They're never really exciting. But I thought this one was actually pretty interesting. So withdrawn was to establish a policy of council uh, that they will appoint no person to the board of RRHA more than two consecutive terms. That was withdrawn? It was withdrawn. <laughs> For anybody that isn't able to see us, so every one of you, I'm just kind of looking at Melissa befuddled because that's interesting. Why um, would you withdraw that? Right. And, and especially, you know, that was in 2017. Now we're here in 2018 where there's been some concerns, much more vocal concerns, growing vocal concerns around the RRHA board, their oversight, their ability to manage and who those people are on the board because city council appoints the people to the board. So during that heat crisis uh, in 20, early 2018, council would pretty much be like, well, we don't run RRHA. We can't do anything about it. But at the same time, you're looking at them like, but you guys appoint the board. And then more recently, there's been things that were on the consent agenda that activists have called up as saying, should this be on the consent agenda? Can you guys at least question what RRHA is doing? Sure. Yeah. Instead of just unchecked, like you guys have complained over here about how you don't have oversight, but at the same time, you don't implement the oversight you do have. And I think this is another interesting piece of that of not only are you not implementing the oversight you do have, but you're actively not adding the ability to force yourselves to have even more oversight over the board. Right. Just doesn't make any sense to me. All right. Also withdrawn was to appoint uh, Amaryllis Hernandez as the interim city auditor. Somebody else outside of the city auditor's office got put in his place. Well, such that's as right. Because this was the whole thing where Umesh Dalal got pushed out. Umesh Dalal. 
he was pushed out of city auditor. And if I remember, the concern here was that Amaryllis Hernandez worked in the auditor's office and there was concerns about Umesh Dalal's leadership and interactions with employees. There were accusations about him potentially being a bully that were all unproven. And it was kind of odd how it all went down. And so then the concern they would have had is they didn't want someone from inside the auditor's office because it might perpetuate the same leadership that got them there in the first place. They got someone from outside. That's right. There was a thing. A whole thing. So the two rejected were, and see, only two rejected resolutions. Like, wow, okay, cool, I guess. Request to General Assembly granting the city of Richmond the right to remove Confederate monuments. Who's shocked? I mean, kudos to Dr. Mike Jones of the 9th District for trying that one out in 2017. I mean, right off the bat, good for you. But it didn't it didn't work. Oh, also, this was a fun one that was rejected. <laughs> Denying the right of the mayor, CAO, or their designees to attend closed meetings of council. Somebody on council was like, Bifolation. And the rest of council was like, We said meh. M-E-H. Meh. That's an interesting, probably, in my mind, power dynamic Mm -hmm. of the mayor and city council and kind of a struggle that's been ongoing, honestly, since we got an elected mayor. But also (laughs) with this council, kind of from day one, it seemed like everybody was on the same page. Everybody ran on a campaign of working together and speaking. Oh, yeah. It was like, you know, hold hands and heal the world. Oh, it was. Everybody could have just called their platform Kumbaya. But then in reality, when everybody got sworn in, it became a little different, a little bit tough. And it's been interesting to watch the back and forth because, you know, this is one where it's like, hey, let's keep the admin out of our closed session meetings that we have our own autonomy without that kind of feel of oversight. But then also there have been things where council implemented, hey, you need to submit all transfer requests through the ordinance process. And the mayor was like, that's going to be a big waste of time and didn't really like it. But also it's a power struggle, I think, okay. the ongoing struggle. The struggle is real. We had 84 resolutions adopted, though. Not too shabby, I guess. Just a few. Here's that interim city auditor. It was William C. Barrett III. We appointed Candace D. Reed. Hey, Candace. Interim city clerk. Richie N. McKeithen became the city assessor Again. in 2017. Again. Again. So Richie McKeithen uh, was actually, he is our current city assessor. And he was previously our city assessor back in, I believe, first he was actually the deputy city assessor. Let me start there. In 2003, 2004, he would have been the deputy city assessor. The city assessor at the time had gotten outed because he had asked the deputy city assessor assessor, Richie McKeithen, to sign off on lowering the assessment of the city assessor his, himself's home. There's a whole investigation. He ends up getting removed from role. Rich McKeithen becomes the interim city auditor. Around the same time frame, all of a sudden, if you go back into Richmond history, it was the 2004-2005 time period where all of a sudden the assessments shot up. So there's been recent news articles talking about how this year has been the highest assessment increase in the last decade. That would only take you to 2008. And this year, I believe, I remember it was just under 8%. That was the average. Back in the year where Richie McKeithen ended up taking over the city assessor's office after being deputy, it was over 17%. It was closer to 18% of increases. The reason that he was giving in all of the newspaper articles I've read about it from way back when was to say, well, we are severely undervalued based on market rates and what housing market is. And we, as the assessor's office, don't set the market rates, but we have to catch up. And the way he was posing it was this whole, like, we're losing revenue because we're not properly valuing the assessment of the homes. Now, if you remember 
around the same time, we also would have had a higher property tax rate. And this is also right before you have the housing bubble burst. All of the home values are also going up. It's a much higher assessment or tax rate that ultimately city council cut down to over a couple different iterations, the $1.20 that we get today. Then all of a sudden, at the same time, you have the assessments going sky high and people get really upset, obviously. Clearly, that was also two years before everything went kaput. He was actually the official city auditor for a very brief time. Richie McKeithen, when he went from the interim to the full position of city assessor, once the other guy was outed fully, he was the permanent person and he was less than a year as the actual assessor before he ended up leaving and going to Hampton, if I remember. And so he's been around a couple other places and now he came back in 2017, they appointed him. And it's been really interesting because right around now, you're also seeing again, the assessment rates rise and you have them quoting saying, hey, this is the the highest amount in a decade. Actually, it's the highest amount since the last time he was our assessor. Right. And he's been, you went to an 8th District meeting where he was at, Melissa. Do you want to talk about it? Yeah, he was there and he was trying to explain to a bunch of people who are historically poor why their property taxes have gone up and why it's a good thing for them. There were some that grumbled and said, it's not good for me. My property tax rate going up, I have to redo my entire budget, blah, blah, blah. There's a lot of your citizens in the 8th District. And others, though, blindly were like, okay, say it's great. Reva says it's great. It must be great. And the reason he was giving, if I remember, because you recorded it and it's on our Facebook page, I want to say that he was using this logic that it's a great thing, guys, because that means more people are interested in your neighborhood. Yes, more people are interested in coming into your neighborhood, investing into your in your neighborhood. You're going to get more things. Grocery stores are going to come in. Uh, more boutique shops or whatever the things that you need are going to come in. Just accept it because it's a good thing. And like I said, the ones that did grumble about it, they were just passed over. Just so you know, there are two sides to the property tax coin. The only other thing that is actually of interest in this resolutions uh, that were adopted, the 84 resolutions that were adopted in 2017, they reopened the press area behind the council members. Why was it closed again? I think it was, was it 2012? Something like that. That Chris Dorsey, a frequent, well, was a frequent council visitor, public commenter, ran for sheriff, loves to shove cameras up in people's faces. Camcorder specifically. I'm, I'm going to go further and say that he is a, a vehement um, anti-Semite also. Yeah, he's and not a great guy. He, honestly. If you watch the, the things that he says to people, he accuses people that are local activists also of being FBI agents. There's a lot going on with this guy. But he was acting as... As press. Yeah, and, and he still has a press pass. And he was sitting in the press gallery that's directly behind city council members, liaisons, everybody who's hanging out there, the clerks. It was open carrying. He always opens carries. Everyone's right. seen him, he has a gun. And it freaked people out. And his behavior freaked people out. So I've encountered Chris Dorsey very few times. It was at a couple of action events. His movements are erratic. And I can definitely see where, especially if somebody, because that was my big on guard moment, was watching him walk up to people and get within inches holding a camcorder in their faces, despite them walking around, like trying to walk away and making uh, very aggressive statements toward the, the private citizens, make throwing accusations about people that we're standing there with and all of this different stuff while he's open carrying. And so then you transpose that into a setting of a a meeting of city council in a government building, which P.S., yes, it is legal to open carry in government buildings. They actually can't prohibit bringing a gun into. Well, I mean, I've seen it when when the South rises again and lines up for public comment. There are quite a few open carry folks that are there. Council members felt uncomfortable in the past 
few years political climate with somebody sitting directly behind them with the gun. So instead of eliminating really that person only, they eliminated all the press from sitting behind them. What's the advantage of it really distance wise different, but it has plugins, electrical plugins. There's electrical plugins. There's a desk for you, you to can use also your laptop. Actually on see and... the public speakers. Right, you from can the face. You can see certain things a lot better from there. You can sit next to Dick Harmon, host of Gavel to Gavel. But... I've seen Mark Robinson eat cake back there from Reva or D- and it was Dick's birthday cake. Cake Everybody loves cake. See, that's that's the advantage that we're missing out on. But we did a little writing campaign. Melissa did. I didn't. I'm I'm a weirdo. And I wrote to every liaison and every council person to open it back up. And they did. But they put a stipulation on it. You have to have a press pass. Yep. You have to have legitimate press credentials. And, I mean, we do, actually, through WRIR. But they're still in the mail somewhere. Also, I just kind of enjoy our seat. But, really, our seats are kind of prime. And I think it would suck to give them up. So I'm not going to fight for that that spot. We have extended life external batteries for our phones. We don't need their plugs. We don't need their birthday cake. I might some days. But no, it was actually really interesting because <laughs> one of the things that came up, one of the people that was originally really reluctant, I'm going to say reluctant to pass reopening the press box was third district councilman Chris Hilbert. And his logic was to say that there's all of these shootings of government officials, specifically council people across the country (laughs) in city halls. I know that if it were true, it wouldn't be a laughing matter. But I'm waiting for my next sentence of how I Googled and did a thread of every single instance that I could find. It was not many. It was probably less than five. And if I remember, they were personal issues that were happening. It was basically like an individual argument. It wasn't like somebody randomly coming in. It was a provoked back and forth situation. And so we went through and I listed every single incident because it's just it's it's weird. You know, I think when we talk about freedom of the press, even if we're not going to go up and sit up there, but it's having a rule that bans everybody is a bit much. But it's wide open again. And so we get to see all of our faves sitting back there enjoying council birthday cake while we break our thumbs tweeting in the second row. This is a fun one. Expressing council's support of the education compact. Expressing council's support of the education compact. So this is something that Mayor Stoney had advocated for, an education compact that basically was just meetings. It was what it ended up coming down to because activists took issue with a a good chunk of the education compact's um, oversight, basically. All it ends up being is meetings, joint meetings between city council, school board, and mayor. It's that kumbaya moment of everybody working together towards schools. Then there's also uh, community boards, blah, blah, blah. So all this is is actually just council saying, hey, we support this education compact. School board also had to pass the same thing to basically just say, hey, we're all on board the same page. The education compact was originally proposed in January, February 2017. I don't think they ended up voting on it till almost July, August. It took that long to actually get it right and get everybody on board with it and then actually pass it. And it's just the reason I want to make sure we said it is I've been at those meetings. The people who are not there are from council. So at some of the meetings, you'll get a good swath of the school board members. Like if there's nine school board members, you'll probably get five or six of them. There's been some of the education compact meetings with one council person. Shameful. To me, that just speaks to if council is supportive of the education compact and not just council, but also if the school board is supportive of it and if the mayor's office is supportive of the two other two bodies, really all of them coming together, then let's make sure that we address the scheduling issues. So now this year, actually, Mayor Stoney did appoint uh, Eva Colon, who we've had on the show previously, to basically manage and run the education compact because I think that was one thing where it was like so who's in charge of the agenda when there's three different bodies weird logistical stuff like that that ended up getting slipped through the cracks I'm I'm sure that a piece of the scheduling issue maybe that one time it's interesting to see who comes and goes to those meetings sometimes
Has council done the work? We're aiming to find out on today's Municipal Mania, right here on WRIR LP 97.3 FM Richmond Independent Radio. Now we get to move into this year, 2018, total ordinances. 337 so to date this year. To date this year. So, I mean, it's possible you have one more council meeting. We're going to get close to probably 100 more ordinances than 2017. Working a little harder. I mean, it was the first year that this iteration of council has been together. Let's go back for just a second. 2017 was a slow start, I thought for them. It took them a long time to really commit to anything. There was a lot of, well, we're just adjusting, you guys. We're adjusting. And I'm like, yeah, but it's summer now. It's been 84 years. How much more adjustment do you need? Clearly in 2018, it looks like they are, they are adjusted, they're situated, and they were ready to take on a little more work. We have 39 ordinances remaining on consent agenda right now. And this I actually did not know about. They're going to authorize the gift of Vauxhall Island from Enrichment Foundation to the city to include in the James River Park systems so we get a new island. Huh. Yeah. Wow. What do you know? We've been talking about this. Everybody's been talking about this. On consent is to create a Navy Hill Advisory Commission and announce council's intent I'm sorry, to hold sorry. public meetings. I, I'm sorry. Uh, back to this Vauxhall Island thing. Okay. Um, <laughs> so I've never in my life heard of Vauxhall Island. And Did as, you look it up? As somebody who is directionally challenged and get the loss going home from the station still, uh, if I don't pay too much attention. I just Google it. First article that comes up in 2015, the Enrichment Foundation announced on Friday that it completed the purchase of Vauxhall Island. Okay. So in 2015, Enrichment purchased the island and now um, they're going to gift it to the city. It's a gift. It's benevolence. A benevolent gift to our park goers. I'm just, I'm, I'm, it makes me super curious about the evolution of, okay, so you started here, now what's it? I'm, I have so many questions about it, but if anybody's wondering, Vauxhall Island sits upstream of the Mayo Bridge and adjacent to the river's great blue heron nesting site and has Aww. a billboard that draws a rent of 36000 a year. Oh, wow. Okay. Also, you can keep your herons, Vauxhall Island, because they want to eat the fish in my backyard. So keep your damn herons to yourself. Yeah. Even more interesting, just so you know, it was actually a bidding process and the city was bidding for it at the same time. I have way more things to Google. Continue. Uh, they want to establish a Navy Hill Advisory Commission and announce council's intent to hold public meetings. All right, more meetings about Navy Hill. I'm sure there will be more shows where we take on more questions about this project. We're going to gloss over that right now because we've talked a lot about Navy Hill and I don't want to talk about it right now. F- you. F- you and f- you. Who's next? A requirement for DPW to do a study, that's Department of Public Works, to do a study of road and bridge conditions to be completed by February 1st, 2019 and February 1st of every year after that. Because we have some really rotten looking bridges, y'all. I mean, we all know our roads are pitted and pockmarked and they're terrible, but the bridges, the underside of our bridges are scary. What I would love this to be that I think would be very important is for it to be an ongoing assessment of the inventory of all of the roads in Richmond. There's a number of streets that you can drive down, and I really question the last time they got care. And then there's other streets that get overpaved. And I'm sure that part of it is people that are submitting complaints are probably more active in some neighborhoods than others about the roads. But then also I know that there's some alleyways that people have had massive massive potholes that doesn't matter how many times it gets reported somehow it never gets 
on the list to fix. I would like to know a little bit more about who's doing it and how is it not going to take away from resources from DPW. So are they adding funding to DPW or whatever it is? Because I do think that's super important if only for equity's sake. Almost every single year, my road gets paved because and I'm, I'm confident that it's because it's the road that police use to get to another part of the city. I love it. But <laughs> it's also, I know, at the neglect of a ton of other roads. I would love them to expand it to include alleys and sidewalks and lack of sidewalks. Awesome. We have 10 ordinances remaining on regular agenda this year. The ones that people want to know about are renaming the boulevard to Arthur Ashe Boulevard and prohibiting Brook Road bike lanes. And I think that actually the uh, recent committee continues Brook Road bike lanes, actually. So there's no way for it to come forward in 2018. So it's going to hang out in 2019 with us. Thanks and for coming along into the new year. I'm going to say this out loud. Those bike lanes are funded and they should have been scheduled for completion by the end of this year. What, what, what? This the construction should have already been happening. Mm. Two ordinances were rejected this year, and both of them make me shed a little bit of a tear. The expansion of Miss Babs Daycare in the Fan, a fan institution, was rejected. That was really sad because it was it was about adding a very limited number of spots to a daycare that has been there for years. And as a community daycare, it's an affordable daycare for parents. Walkable. It's walkable. And the goal of it was to allow enough capacity for, for example, siblings to be able to go there. Man, they came out in full force against that thing. It was it was crazy. The neighbors, I was so disappointed in them. Mike Jones was super disappointed in them. I mean, he definitely said that like their bias yeah. uh, towards preventing this in their neighborhood was basically ignorant to people's realities in Richmond. And he was going to vote against it, but he decided to vote in favor of it after hearing their their comments. And also, Parker's proposed cigarette tax went up in flames because people who work for Altria, Philip Morris, bust in, who don't live in the city and don't have children in RPS, come in and speak against it. One entire side of council chambers was full of red shirts, and not a one of them would admit to living within the city limits. They were all full of this BS fed to them by Altria and whoever about the 80 cent cigarette tax passed that they would lose jobs and Altria might move and they would stop being benevolent. I say that's horse pucky. The vote on that showed you who lives in Altria's pocket. When you have parents, regardless of the backgrounds and regardless of their position in life, come up there and stand in front of council and attest to the allegation or assumption that they were I'm just they, they were literally saying that this ordinance would make their them become homeless. And this is small business owners that own um, small businesses of specifically convenience stores in the mm-hmm. South Side area and were actively saying that they would be homeless and they're and they were crying about their children and their children's lives and all these things. And it's really difficult to sit there because on one hand you want to be sympathetic to anybody's reality because I'm from a family of small business owners. I, I I'm opening a small business. I, I, I really feel that pain. At the same time, one poignant remark that Councilman Jones made was to point out that if their business model is so heavily reliant on specifically cigarette sales, and remember the cigarette tax couldn't have blunts, cigars, chewing tobacco, or loose tobacco. It would not be a tax on any of those things. It was literally just cigarettes. And his point was if your business model is to a point where that's what would happen if you weren't selling cigarettes. We already see that the trend is declining. Mm-hmm. Y'all need to figure this out. And y'all need to change your business model and get it together. Because this, at some point, it's not about the tax. It, it's This is your business model that you are capitalizing on 
and you're coming in and he actually called them out on a few of the owners in his mm -hmm. area that were coming in and they're driving in their Mercedes and their BMWs and they're capitalizing off of poor people by selling junk foods at high prices. And that's their business model. And maybe before they come in front of council next time to talk about all of the, the, the troubles that a very minor tax would have, maybe they need to go check their business model. And I, I really appreciated that at some level of just, you know, because it, it is difficult because I, I believe that small business is really the backbone of a lot of that we do. But making that delineation between what's personal responsibility and what you have control over, especially when you have this huge warning sign and red flags everywhere, because Altria itself has been declining in. They've been actively they, they paid money to a campaign. They've donated to a campaign that is actively trying to end burn tobacco smoking. They are moving already to vaping and everything like right. that. I want to point out the fact that this paper that got voted down and rejected is one of the only, if not the only, funding solutions that council has actually brought to the table for schools. Now, they did vote and pass. I will give them credit for passing the meals tax. I wonder, darling, who's next in line? This year, we've had 10 ordinances withdrawn, which include both of the stone brewing ordinances uh, to, you know, amend their agreements. Yeah, so if you guys remember, the amendment was going to be uh, originally Stone Brewing had agreed to renovate the terminal building and put a bistro there. And upon further review, uh, allegedly, they discovered that uh, they could not renovate it. It would be too high of a cost. The building was basically not savable, so they needed to demolish it. And so they've been going back and forth asking council for uh, the ability to get rid of it and demolish it and build a bistro there. And then there's been a lot of uh, back and forth because some people say you have Paul Goldman that says that it has the internal structure based on the blueprints that it should be. You have Jerry Cable, owner of the tobacco company, offering to buy the building and council saying, but this is an economic development project. We think we already have a good deal for the city. And now ultimately um, it was actually Stone Brewing that requested they withdraw the papers for it. Who knows what they're going to do in the future or if they're trying to work on something else. If Stone Brewing is actively asking them to withdraw it. It sounds like they might have other plans. Yeah. Um, but they have not been disclosed at this point. It's just right now we're not talking about taking it down. The other one withdrawn, though, it looks like was the uh, <laughs> ordinance. I believe that was from it was Kim Gray's. Kim Gray's, where people were concerned when they redid the transit network plan, which changed a lot of bus stops, people in the city. Then there was this turnaround where the buses were going to have to turn around and idle in the West Grace neighborhood area. It was too loud it damaged their buildings and they said allegedly it can't make the turns on the street and it was just kind of back and forth ultimately this resolution got submitted but obviously withdrawn because grtc ultimately just agreed to change it this was a recent one repealing the installment payment for business licenses to close some streets for the new police equestrian center so that would be moving it from where it is in the gilpin court area yeah. which is in a very very um not great building for horsies no, it's really sad, you guys. The The place where the horsies are kept now is there's no grass and they don't get any sunshine and they're under an overpass. And it's just, it's so sad. Anybody's wondering why we still have horses for our police officers? Just so you know, it's actually, they allegedly say it's better crowd control. I, I think it's just so that they can poop on the, on the viaduct going into Highland Park. But whatever. Approving the hours and operations of the 17th Street uh, Farmer's Market, which still doesn't really exist. Still but at least we have approved hours of was, operation for them. It was supposed to be open in May, then it got pushed to like September, and now it still hasn't been open. Uh, we amended the master plan to incorporate the public art why? master plan. Because that's really important, because we like master plans. No, but like why, when we're in the middle of I making know. Richmond 300, like we're in the middle of, just so you guys don't uh, know, Richmond 300 is our new master planning process. Mm -hmm. um, 
don't know. I guess maybe that's just like, I don't Maybe they're just like, oh, well, we didn't do that previous. Actually, I remember this. I remember someone coming and speaking to council because they were like, guys, we submitted this in this year and nobody ever implemented it. We need you guys to say, okay. <laughs> you remember that? <laughs> now I remember it. And I remember oh, like go. looking it up and I'm like, oh, it's on the website. But they're like, but did you guys, can we do this though? It, that's Thing. what it was. It was old work. Let's see. To give money to businesses affected by the Pulse construction to basically put up hanging plants and whatnot. Because we think. Yeah. Opioid addiction has been a big topic for council this year, and they have accepted grant money to provide uh, prevention and recovery services. There was an increase in vehicle licensing fees and for fees for parking violations. Because, I mean, that was actually kind of needed. It's really outdated. And so that wasn't a shocker, and I don't think anybody cried over it. No, because you could get a parking ticket cheaper than you could. Um, like You could just take the parking ticket, and it was cheaper than actual parking. The increase in the meals tax for school renovation and replacement. That was a, a hard-fought battle. In the end, Stoney won. Mayor Stoney won and got an increase in the meals tax. In the end, the children won. That's true. The children did win. There's actually a groundbreaking coming up of all three schools in December. I believe it's the 19th, and they're supposed to open fall 2020. <laughs> Establishment of the Office of Inspector General, which is separate from the city auditor's office. So more oversight. I'm not going to complain about more oversight. And that was actually just to keep in line with the state laws that changed. Uh, sale of property to Anna Julia Cooper School. Yeah, we felt some kind of way about that. Yeah, this is actually one of the ones where we talked about RRHA oversight. What it was is basically on the consent agenda, the way it all read and everything was very innocuous, just saying it's like sale of land, RRHA. But if you dug into it, it was actually selling it to a private school, the land. And what Anna Julia Cooper is, it, it, it's it's actually, it's a great program. There is a tuition, but there are grants for all the students that go there. So it is in the Fulton area, and it is to help basically increase choice of kids in that area, and it's on scholarship. In and of itself, fine. Problem being, it, it didn't look transparent. It yeah. looked like you had some backdoor deal. It was buried down in there. It was hard to understand. There was no information about it. They would say like, oh, well, we're going to build this facility and the community can use it, but there was not anything that would guarantee it. Some activists, Omari, Al Qaddafi with Leaders of the New South was one of the big people that took vocal issue with this. Um, and, you know, again, it's transparency. Right. And it's a matter of let's make sure we're doing it the right way. And I believe that part of the advocacy I heard the other week that um, there's also added things for the community with the community center. It's just a little bit more formalized. Let's not have things happen to a community. Let's do them with the community. And to me, that's not a poor reflection on Angela Cooper. It's actually a poor reflection on the city. And they did have to change the language before it could pass, they had to change the language and change it so that it was the city transferring the property to the Anna Julia Cooper School. Yeah, and the and reason leave RRHA out of it because right. it did seem kind of funky. Next up in the ordinances that were adopted is the, all the Laris Park hoopla with Chesterfield and their water and the multiple ordinances involved in this. But eventually it passed. They're going to get their water tower. Laris Park is going to get this little extra chunk of land. And most everybody's going to be happy about it, but the Loraxes of the city, of course, were not, and we respect that. I speak for the trees. <laughs> Here's the best one. The rezoning of the historic West Hampton School area for Bonds, of course, as part of the Redskins training camp deal. The what? Oh, I'm sorry. The Washington racial slurs training camp. See? Yeah, you got to catch that. So that one basically was just, that was kind of crazy because it was allowing, uh, they don't have to do an SGP or anything. Whatever they want to do there, they're going to be able to do there. I do what I want. 
And I, I want to point out, though, you know, for as frustrated as a lot of people probably feel about it, I want to give a lot of props to the first district councilman, Andreas Addison, because yeah. his outreach to get people's input on what they would and wouldn't be okay with was phenomenal. I can't blame this council for what the situation was. That really was the last council. And I appreciate Andreas for making the best out of, a, no matter what was going to happen, a bad situation. And now we're going to move into the 112 resolutions to date. For this year we have six remaining on the agenda including establishing a new affordable housing division within the department of housing and community development and then everything else is pretty much meh it's it's all you know board and commission appointments and so yeah you know if you want to look up those you go right ahead congrats to everybody who was appointed we we have four resolutions remaining on our regular agenda currently this is actually one that uh, there are other iterations of it. The final one looks like it's going to be creating a policy for council for them to give any interest in city-owned real estate to private developers for housing reasons. At least 15% of the total development's residential units have to be designated affordable housing. Mm -hmm. So this is actually following up on a recent definition of affordable housing within the city where they went through and defined the different levels of affordable because I think one big point is who is it affordable to? Right. We already know that our AMI is higher because it's a region versus the cities. Having those definitions is in theory going to help it as we discuss things going forward and being clear about who's getting what. There we go. Those are the ones still hanging out here in 2018. They may or may not follow us into 2019. We shall see. We did have 10 papers withdrawn. Most of them <laughs> were kind of lame-o, but one of them <laughs> Sorry. Uh, withdrawn was uh, consenting to the mayor's appointment of Cindy Menzerb to the education compact. That did not happen. She Whew. did not get appointed. Nope. No, that was what I was laughing about. It was, that was a whole thing. That was unfortunate, no matter what happened. Basically, this was during the Mills tax thing. Cindy Menzerb, formerly appointed to be the third district school board rep, was involved in trying to advocate for the Mills tax. And there's this whole thing where she sent an email where it was calling for a boycott of businesses that didn't support the Mills tax that people traced back to the mayor. Ultimately, she didn't get appointed. Also withdrawn, a petition to VDOT to compensate businesses for lost revenue during Pulse construction, which turned into something else entirely that did pass. See, they evolve. These papers can evolve in so many ways with so many different commas and strike this and add that. To amend the council rules of procedure to include a council meeting every fourth Monday of October. They were not down with that, so it was withdrawn. No second meeting in October for us. Come on, guys. I think y'all should have taken that second meeting. So two were rejected. One of them was rejected. It's just part two. However I say part that. Two. It was to ask the General Assembly to give council control only over the Confederate monuments. It wasn't to take them down. It wasn't to deface them. It wasn't it was also to do like, anything. It was just, just to, to get ask, control. Ask for permission. Just like, General Assembly still had to whatever. Right. It's a whole big thing, you know, where the South rose again and came to council packing heat with ill-informed 10-year-olds spouting off revisionist history and it was insane thank you mike jones for trying all right so on to the approvals the last little bit here we have 90 that were approved as opposed to how many before 84 resolutions adopted in the previous year so added six more council gonna sue big pharma y'all what do you think about that jesse i am really interested i'm really interested to see where this goes 
Yeah, so this was a whole kind of – they weren't able to really speak about it on council. It was this really odd, coded conversation. But what everybody gathered – It was from intriguing. The was basically Serious. that there's a lawsuit. We have no idea what the what, – what would have triggered this or why this came up exactly as far as specific instances or case of what this came to. But basically, it would be city council suing uh, opioid manufacturers for their role in perpetuating the opioid crisis. We're going to take on Big Pharma. Woo! Now, this one, this one actually means a lot, I think, if it actually happens. But um, to request that the General Assembly of Virginia fulfill its constitutional obligation and adequately fund the true costs of public education in Virginia. Yeah, and so that really speaks to not just the, uh, the, the building conditions piece of it, but really to what is the true cost of the instructional time that kids need. And... This one was actually also supported by the Virginia Municipal League. So this is one that Mayor Stoney submitted to council and also to the Virginia Municipal League. A number of other localities around the state also passed it. And this is really the precursor or the groundwork, rather, towards leading up to other efforts that Stoney has been trying to coordinate as far as there's like a march for more on December 8th from Martin Luther King Middle down to the Capitol um, and other various activism efforts to try to demand that General Assembly, not just Richmond alone doing this, demanding from the General Assembly, but everybody across the state, because it's not just cities that are hurt by this, it's also rural areas, and everybody's hurt when it's not properly funded by the state. To express the council's support for a financial and compliance audit of the school board of the city of Richmond's capital improvement plan allocations, and an overview of the processes used to develop, track, and report such allocations for the city. Do you ever feel like that this iteration of council picks on this iteration of school board an awful lot? I don't think it's just this iteration of council. Do you have commentary yeah. on this, Jesse? Yeah, I mean, I think that um, it's a longstanding issue with uh, council and school board. If you remember, we haven't had an elected school board for very long. No. It, it's more of a recent development. And by recent, I want to say within the last 15 years, give or take. Yeah, even um, less, yeah around that time period. And so if you remember, it would have been appointments by council. So I think that might be part of the strife uh, from the beginning. But then also there's this really challenging uh, situation, ongoing, long-standing audits of the school system year after year after year. And a lot of them were done under former mayor Doug Wilder, but that tone has continued. And a lot of the people on council today also might have served back then. Might have. Um, and, and really the tone has always been towards schools we need to cut our way to making the budget. And instead of saying we need to fix it by adding more money, it's always been about cutting. And these audits are always really about cutting budget money. This one specifically, it's really related to the meals tax in my mind because this is a direct response to people's concerns of if we're giving the school board money, they can do what they want with it. And people feel like the school board in years past has had a longstanding issue with not appropriately using the money. So this is, I think, I like it just because in part it's to give people transparency because part of it's reporting. And one thing that I found very difficult in the meals tax debate portion was it was really hard to match up all the numbers. I found out that the city and school have different definitions of funds, so the numbers weren't 100% matching up them. It was really confusing. And I think it's really unfair to people for us to be taxed and not be able to see where that money goes. And I think that extra layer of security, to me on this case specifically, might not be counseled towards school board, but it's really a protection for the people. But to answer your question, I think overarchingly separate from this resolution, yes, they are. But so are other councils. <laughs> it is a really rough relationship. And that's why part of the 2016 campaign was this kumbaya feel, because everybody feels that's a huge hang up, yeah. which is why it's so frustrating me to see the fights that we still have today. 
two things for Southside specifically. The council resolved to support the off-track betting facility in the 9th District, even though they, I mean, it was a done deal. They didn't really have a choice in the matter. And that's why it would be a resolution. Right, it's a resolution. That's right. So they just supported it. Hey, guys. Thanks that's for like a feel good. They're giving stuff to a school. So they think it's a, a, an effort and a relationship when technically Colonial Downs doesn't have to. Kind of going hand in hand with this sort of thing. Speaking of zoning. Speaking of zoning, councilman in the 9th District, Mike Jones, brought up needing a study uh, for B3 zoned properties in all council districts, but specifically the 9th, because it's kind of like the Wild West out there. You can just throw whatever you want out there, and there's not a whole bunch of legal recourse up and down that corridor in the 9th. Yeah, the zoning in the 9th and the 8th, I think 70% of the zoning, which is the least restrictive zoning. We're not zoning experts, but um, from what Councilman Mike Jones explained to us, though, that it really is kind of a free-for-all. Yeah, so every time that you have things like the Mrs. Babs uh, daycare, where it has to go for a special use permit, and the residents in the community has a say in if it happens, with the least restrictive zoning, 70% of it is in the 8th and 9th districts. So people in those communities don't have a say in what happens to their neighborhood. And then that's where you start to look around and you start to see what is in those districts. Strip clubs, nightclubs, and it's not a big diversity of an economy down there because you're having the least restrictive. That's where they're all going to cluster. So you don't have to worry about the city. So it has become kind of an unofficial red light district study like this would probably help get more needed businesses in that area that was a good resolution in liaison news summer morris hey girl is now the ninth district liaison and fifth district liaison amy robbins got a well-deserved raise those are done through resolutions just so you know, so that there's transparency. Finally, after a year, Candace Reed was officially appointed city clerk. So no more interim for you. Congratulations. She's been here a while. She knows the deal. She keeps Chris Hilbert in check. Louis G. Lassiter was appointed our new city auditor to replace Umesh Dalal. And the last one that we have on our list today is... Drumroll, please. allowing the reimbursement of council members for their district funds without approval via resolution and raising the threshold above which a resolution is required from $1,000 to $5,000 so that you don't have to see every tiny little purchase of, you know, $30 for water here, $150 for pizza or whatever. They can just get their reimbursement, you know, without a resolution. I mean, it makes sense. It's it's a lot of time and money on city employees to write all this crap up. Oh, it absolutely is. And I think that um, I'm really, this is the one that I really appreciated the community support on is because this followed kind of a lot of criticism around a couple council members, specifically Juan Riva, that was submitting, re, submitting for reimbursement of things like pizza for her district meetings and bottles of water and vans for toy delivery and all this stuff, which all things they can completely and should use their district funds for. Right. Where it becomes problematic for people is when you're at district meetings talking about how you personally paid for it. And on the back end, you're going and submitting for reimbursement from the city. To me, it's what are you, are you transparent with the situation, especially when you have a council person who portrays everything as us, the 8th district against the city. And ultimately, even though it's it's not like a huge, huge funding amount as far as like thousands and thousands of dollars, their entire district fund is like 10 grand or 12. I think it's 12 grand. 12 or grand. Like it's that. not much. I mean, but it's, it's a lot. Okay. But it's not much. The main issue is like comparison to other funding. 
at the time, the portal that you could go through and look up all the receipts because the school board has a check register that's updated on a very regular schedule. And that regular schedule is actually published on their website. You know exactly when it's going to update. And on the school city side, it hadn't been updated since 2017. No, that's what we discovered when we went in to look at, well, what had they been purchasing. They say they've got a register for it. Well, what have they been purchasing? And they were doing these huge dumps all at one time. At the end of the year. Because, oh God, we've got to have something on these books. And it really hadn't been updated properly at all. So it was a flawed system. I hope that this really starts to fix it in the future because we need to see what they're buying, what they're purchasing. We also need to be able to hold them accountable if things seem a little bit odd. Yeah. And like that was actually, you know, because it's bigger than $12,000. That issue is so much bigger than that. Yeah. And that was one thing was actually they continued it and had this decision. Well, before we pass this, let's actually make sure that our data is in check. So I, I, I still, I think it's good for everybody to it's a lesson learned and speak your mind, even if it sounds petty, mm-hmm. because that's what the council people who are in support of the resolution, specifically it was Reva and uh, Councilman Kim Gray, were very much like, guys, it's only $12,000, not that much. And like talking about the, not just the administrative side of it, but just like this is making it into this whole thing that really minimized the real heart of the concern of the community, because I think that that answer of updating the data is a much bigger concern overarching. Even though sometimes I think people are gonna say like, hey, that might've been a petty thing. Like, I mean, was what, yeah. But the spirit of it, I think hopefully created a much bigger change and addressed a bigger issue that we were all having, period. And now maybe we won't waste so many city funds paying somebody to write up, spend hours writing up resolutions for $30 worth of water. Anyway, so that's the end of that. The reason I started this, I guess, that was fun. Two years. We're halfway through. It was really partially, I think, to document what's been done so far, but then also to, to pause and reflect because I have the complaint. Melissa has the complaint. Fran, we all in the city have the complaint about what is city council doing. And I think I personally am much more critical of city council because I know that as compared to, let's say, the mayor's office, because... City Council holds a lot more power, actually, in Mm -hmm. practicality. To me, it's very much like Congress as far as the legislative powers. They have the power of the purse. And there's a lot of things that they could be doing when you have a mayor who is submitting things and actively trying to do and change things where city council has the equitable power of also doing that. I wish there was more selection on the table. I I, want to be able to be critical of the plans that are presented are more critical than I already am of the plans presented because I'm comparing the two things. So part of what we wanted to kind of do here is really go through what's happened, what are things that didn't happen, and just get a lay of the land because sometimes when you're in the middle of it, it can feel like, am I being hyperbolic right now? Right. How little they've done. So we want to just reality check because I think there are some good things that we got to look back on and say that they have been doing as far as instances past. But with that kind of blurt of information as to like giving people context for my next question, Melissa, so what do you think? Look, I'm always going to be hypercritical of city council, and I'm always going to think they could be doing more. And I think that is to push them to actually do more, to take bolder stances on issues, to put forth papers that really will challenge and benefit their communities. And a lot of times going through this, I don't see that. You know, I I didn't include a lot of the boring and mundane stuff, but I do feel like that there could be more. I, I don't know how to describe it better other than I've I feel lacking. Even even after going through all of this, I still feel a little lacking. I think that there is more past than I thought. But the things that are past aren't necessarily things that the council people are bringing to the table. When we talk about the count, I mentioned the whole funding thing. Mm-hmm. You have to remember a ton of those are probably just transfer requests Oh yeah, that are more admin. To me, the starkest thing that represents what you mean by more 
is the fact that there were how many rejected? Not many. The ones that get withdrawn, you know, that usually ends up being like uh, we're changing. Honestly, that ends up being like we're changing something. Yeah, it's just a rework. Well, a lot of times um, it's a rework. Right. Or they realize like this isn't what we like. It, it's a whole bunch of there's something else happened that made. But for me, the lack of no votes is also to me a lack of trying new thing if you're only doing the things that are coming up to the table on the day-to-day basis which i feel like especially in 2017 and looking at a lot of 2018 has been a lot of the day-to-day stuff of let's address these problems let's get this money transferred and i think the council needs to take a much more visionary approach and look at really the direction of the city what do you want this city to look like be the progressive agents of change that we elected you all to be. You know, there's a couple of studies, I think, that are being put in there to figure out strategic plans and all this stuff around homelessness and housing and all these little items like this that I'm hopeful are going to take us in a direction. It's disappointing to me that it took almost two years of this council being around to get there. I really wish that they would try new, bold, innovative things, even if the answer is no, because the discussion could breed better answers. Yeah. I feel like some, do you ever feel like sometimes when you're sitting at council that they don't want to have the discussion, they just want to breeze through it so they can go home? And look, we understand too, we're hungry. It's 6 p.m. and onward and we want to go home to our families or cats or dogs too but sometimes I feel like there's a lot of lack of discussion or things are continued to stall or continue because it's a busy weekend or it's a holiday and stuff like you know we we don't get to not do that before you know at work before a holiday and I think that our previous council reduced the number of meetings so we don't have we we never have a meeting in in August And then for the most of the rest of the year, it's like one meeting. Yeah, so October, November, December, one one meeting. meeting. And so if you think about the amount of stuff that gets continued, so yet again, this Brook Road bike lane thing gets continued yet again, and now we only have one meeting in December, so what are we going to do? And I think that's one frustration to me is, why is it that we don't have more than one meeting in several months? Is it because they feel like they don't need it because there's not enough volume of things? If so, that's a problem for me. Sure, Um, yeah, that's a problem for me as well. Like, I feel like there should be innovative things that we're bringing to the table. Being more proactive. Forward thinking. Council, to me, feels still very responsive and reactionary, and they are not proactive visionaries. And I think well, where we're at in the city today is we need, if it's the next council, I really wish it would just be this council, because I don't want to wait. I don't want to wait two more years. And fine, it could be the same thing, is that we need people that are going to step up and, and and you're on there now. Step up and be a bold visionary and try to get ahead of some of these things or just try new different things. Like it's really honestly saddening to me when I have people tell me that they follow Charlottesville City Council because of how progressive they are and how they're a good example for best practices. Charlottesville. Charlottesville, y'all, that have actual Nazis come to public comment. They handle that. And I think that we pride ourselves in Richmond of being a bastion of progressivism. But I don't really see I don't see that reflected in our council. I don't see that really reflected in the direction of policymaking, proactive policymaking from council at all. On that note, Fran's not with us, but uh, the spirit of Fran is going to take us out as I edit in one of her previous. (laughs) Excellent. Outros. And uh, thank you for listening. Thank you.
Thank you for listening to this week's episode of RVA Dirt's Municipal Mania. And now through the magic of radio, here's Sicky Poo Fran to take us out. Engage us on all social media at RVA Dirt, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all that good stuff. RPS is still not fully funded. We're working on it. Flint still has dirty water and Richmond is definitely still racist. Thank you.